Good morning. How, how are you? See some new faces here. It's exciting. Uh, you, you know, last week was so exciting. And, um, but today we got some more reasons to be excited. It's like God gives us a gift month after month, week after week. And so the, God's doing great things in our church. And so um, if you... If I seem excited, it's because I am excited. And um, so today, um, Vincent is getting baptized. And um, how many of you guys in this room know Vincent and are here because of Vincent? I'm here because of Vincent. Um, and so we're going to hear Vincent's story in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you the very big story, okay? Um, so we have a new series, and this is part of what, what I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And this new series is about Jesus. Now, for those who have been Christians for a while, you're, you're wondering, like, am I going to hear anything new about Jesus in this series? So two things I can tell you about this series, okay? First thing is, it's about Jesus, all right? So in case there is any wondering, it's, it's about Jesus, this one man. But you're going to hear like a new take on Jesus. Now, now hold, hold it, hold it. The, the good theologians in our church are like, whoa, 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 new, new take? And you should say that because in seminary I had a professor that said, if you really hear anything completely new in the church, chances are you're a heretic. Or the person who said it is a heretic, right? But let me assure you, this is not going to be heresy. The angle that we're going to uh, see from this one person is the angle of human history. Okay? Now, now, now stay with me here. Um, uh, our staff team was reading this book by James Ch Chong, uh, and it was called Real Life. And one of the many points in this book, I'm really oversimplifying, but, but stay with me, is that there's different generations, and when it comes to faith, they ask a different set of questions, okay? Now, if, if, you're, if you're looking at me, and you think that you might be a little bit older than me, they, they would put you in this one generation who asks a different set of questions when it comes to issues of faith. And the questions that the older generation would, granted, I'm not in that category, right? The older generation would ask a question like, okay, what is true? What is true? And so Christians will point to the Bible and say, you should believe in this book. Why? Because it's true. Well, James Chong comes along and says, well, you know, the younger generation, they, they don't actually care about what's true. Is that true? Right? They ask a whole different set of questions, and their questions are not, is it true, but what difference does it make? I don't care if it's true or not. I want to know if it's going to make a difference in my life. And if it is true, then it should make a difference, right? Okay. Now, older people, what do you think about this younger generation? I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> I think they're asking a fair set of questions. I think it's a fair set of questions. What difference does Christianity make? 
or let's put it this way, what difference has this one life, Jesus Christ, made in human history? And when was the last time you actually asked that question or thought about that? Like, what sort of impact has he made on our planet? And so this summer, we're going to ask that question and address different areas of impact. Uh, I believe if you really ask this question and if you really seek out the answer, minimally speaking, you will find that Jesus Christ has got to be the most interesting man in the world. Okay, now, you're like, I've heard that before. (laughs) Where have I heard that? Okay, I will admit, we stole that that title from the (laughs) Dosuke's commercial, right? But part of it's like, really? You watch that come, really? The most interesting man in the world is this Latino man who's old with a sexy accent and a pet bobcat. Really? Let's talk really about the most interesting man in the world, and when was the last time you considered his impact? So what I'd like to do is is lay out the case for you, and what I want to do is, is begin at the very beginning, okay? So, the story of Jesus. The story goes on, but let's start it with the original story. Uh, Jesus was born roughly 2,000 years ago in an unimportant small rural town to a teenage woman named Mary. He lived a relatively simple life. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his home. He never wrote a book. He never married. He never had children. He never ran for political office. But the first 30 years of his life, not but, but they were spent in relative obscurity, working a simple blue-collar job as a carpenter with his dad. The last three years of his life, he spent doing ministry. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was an itinerant rabbi. He was performing these miracles of compassion. And he died at the age of 33, crucified on a cross, which was an instrument of Roman torture. He died innocently, the kind of death reserved for the lowest kind of criminal. But three days later, Jesus came alive again. And eyewitnesses reported seeing him alive. And Jesus remained with his disciples and friends for 40 days, and then he ascended back into heaven. And so what I've given you right now is a a snapshot story of his brief time on earth. Okay, that was his story of his life. Now what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward the clock 2,000 years later, okay? And I'm going to try my best to summarize the impact of one man, granted one God-man, and the impact that he's made on the history of this planet. And by the way, the content of these messages comes from a book that Pastor Calvin and I are reading, written by John Ortberg called, Who is This Man? Okay, but how do we measure his impact? Okay, so let's start with names, places, and time. Repeat with me, names, places, and time. Okay, famous people often seek to preserve their legacy by having others name for them. I try the very best to have my oldest son be named Andrew. But Raina wouldn't have it. I thought Andrew Jr. AJ had a kind of a cool factor to it, you know? But she wouldn't have it. And so we named him Ryan because it sounded like Raina. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. <laughs> Where's Anna? She knows I'm kidding. Okay, now, so today, the names of, of great people from the past, like Caesar and Nero, great names, right? Like today, we, we do use those as names, but what do they use them for? Dogs, casinos, and pizza parlors, right? While the names around the story of Jesus have been chosen for sons and daughters for about two millenniums, and it continues to this day. My father chose my name. My name is Andrew. Andrew was one of the close friends of Jesus. My brother, his name is David. David was an ancestor of Jesus. My cousin uh, were Thomas and James. They were disciples. of. We named our son Christopher in honor of Jesus and our daughter Noel because she was born close to the time of Jesus. And Ryan, well, I, I don't know what happened to Ryan, but, but those were our pagan days. I'm kidding. Um, so name, name. Now let's talk about place. Let's talk about place. Great men have sometimes tried to secure their immortality by having cities named after them. Alexandria was named after Alexander the Great. Caesarea was named after Caesar Augustus, right? Interesting thing, Jesus never named a city after himself. And yet today, we live in the what Bay Area? The San Francisco Bay Area. And that was named after who? St. Francis, who was famous because of his passion and purity in following Jesus. He, he took vows of poverty to pursue Jesus in simplicity. Our state capital is named what? Sacramento. Where do we get that? Because Jesus once had a meal with his followers called the Last Supper, and that became known as a sacrament. Okay, so in name, in place. Now let's talk about time. Powerful regimes have often tried to establish their importance by dating the calendar around their existence. Okay, now today, every time we take a look at the calendar or write a check, we are reminded that one man became the dividing line of history, that today all of past history is categorized into two categories. You have B.C., right, which is before he came, before Christ, and now it's before Common Era, right? And then you have A.D., which stands for Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So all of time is, oh, before he came and after he came. Oh, where were you born in the time frame after he came? You know? And so 2013 marks 2013 years from the traditional time of his birth, and it marks 2013 years since we've been waiting for him to return. Now, okay, now, this is just a very personal example, but from a very personal standpoint, I want you to think about this, the impact of this one man. Uh, many of us were named around the story of Jesus. Uh, we live in a region that's named after a follower of Jesus. We're born on a year that is marked from the time from this one man's birth. So time, names, places, all seem to orient around one man. Okay, now you go, okay, well, well, okay. Those are just external measures. Yeah, okay, well, let's take a, let's, let's take a deeper look, okay? Not only time and, 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 and place and name, but Jesus Christ, this one solitary figure in history, look at the impact that he's had on culture. Okay, let's, take, let's go one, one level deeper. Let's talk about culture. 
let's talk about how Jesus has impacted culture and value system. Now, if you take a look on the screen, we're going to go through talking about children, equality for women, education, politics, and helping the poor, and we're going to do it in 13 minutes, okay? Okay. Okay, you guys ready? 13 minutes, we're going to cover all these subjects, okay? Because this is supposed to be an introduction to this series, okay? Some of you would like me to go deeper into scripture. We'll do that during the series. I got to go fast on this one because we got a lot of things to celebrate, okay? Now, okay, let's talk about how one man has impacted culture and our system of values, okay? Now, let's start with children. In our culture, we have this profound love for children. Children are innocent and precious and and pure. They represent our future, and we, we love children, right? And we kind of take it for granted, like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, you know, the human species has always been this way. We've always had this profound love. N- no, actually, that's not true. In the ancient world, children did not get named until the eighth day. Do you know why? Because if that baby infant was a gender that you did not want, you can leave it exposed to die. Or if the baby was somehow, you know, deformed, or you just didn't want it, it's okay. You just leave it to die, and that's all right. You just throw the baby away, and that that was their practice. But then a group of people remembered the words of this one man who said, let the little children come to me. And they remembered the story in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, how people, they, they wanted to bring children to Jesus. And the disciples stopped them. They go, oh, hold on. No, 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 no. The, the master has limited amount of time. He can only meet with important people and your kids are not important. So the disciples were turning them away. Now when Jesus found out about that, he he stopped them. He was indignant. He rebuked them. He said, what are you doing? (laughs) He said, let the little children come to me. He said, in fact, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he, he took the kids that people thought were not important And he spent time with them and he prayed for them and he blessed them and he loved the children. He said these words, he did these things and people never forgot them and it changed this horrible custom. It changed history. All right, let's let's talk about equality for women. See, this is how I'm gonna do it in 13 minutes. I'm gonna gonna stab and and, and keep on going on. Equality for women. Let's, Let's take another value in our culture, equality for women. You know that Jesus was never married. Okay, you know that. But his treatment of women was so radical for its time that in his time, Jesus as his movement were perceived as being radical, radically feminist. So approving of women, giving such value and equality to women. For instance, in Jesus' day, like an itinerant male rabbi would not have women traveling along with the men. They just didn't do that. Jesus did that. Jesus had women disciples following with him with the men. Did you know that women were considered unreliable witnesses? They could not stand in court. Now get this, okay? The whole culture is thinking women, they cannot testify in court, unreliable. When Jesus rose from the dead, who did he show himself to? Have you ever thought about this? Who were the first people who saw him? Women. Jesus intentionally made the first people who saw him women. 
so they can go and testify to those disciples and tell them that he's alive. The, the influence of this one man and how he treated women would go on to change Roman law because there was a double standard in the Roman law and he influenced that. His teachings changed that. Okay, education. Let's talk about education. Aren't you glad for the impact that Jesus has made on education? Every student in this room give me a hearty amen. Oh, I just, crickets. Uh, okay, oh, come on. I, I, your parents are happy for Jesus. Now listen to this. In Matthew 22, okay, there's this lawyer. Any lawyers in the house? There's a lawyer that comes up to Jesus. And he's testing Jesus with a question. He's testing Jesus with a question. And he asked Jesus, because they debated about this all the time, what's the most important commandment? in the Torah, in the law. And Jesus looks at this man, and what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and what? Say that again. Mind. Okay, now how many of you have actually done a reference check? Jesus actually was quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, I believe, 4 or 5 or something, right? He was quoting the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's quoting this verbatim, but do you know what Jesus did? He changed a word. Did you know that he changed a word? I mean, like, what gives him the right to change the word? And it's, it's interesting because when he changes the word, as he's speaking the new word, that becomes new scripture. I mean, it's, that's how much authority he has, but he changed it. Do you know what word he changed? He changed love God with all your um, heart, soul, and strength. And then he changed the word strength to mind. You're like, you, you, got, you see the implications of that. Uh, he, now, why did he change that word? I think he changed that word because of the context. Like he was talking to a lawyer, and this lawyer was super smart and very intellectual. And he was actually rebuking and encouraging this man by changing this word to mind at that very time. He was rebuking him and saying, listen, you shouldn't be testing me. But he was encouraging him and saying, listen, you're smart. You, you get engaged in intellectual debates, that's awesome. Now use all of your mental faculties for love of God. And not just that, but combine it with heart and combine it with soul. Be a fully integrated person. I'm not asking you to check your mind out at the door. I'm saying use the best of your mental faculties out of service and love for God. What, what, a, what a vision Jesus was giving this man. Now, let's fast forward to uh, more than a dozen centuries later, okay? Dozens of centuries later, and what I want to do is I want to read to you from a student handbook from a college that, that's sort of become famous, okay? I'm gonna read a student handbook, and I want you to tell me where you think that, uh, that handbook is from, like from which college, okay, ready? 2,000 years later, uh, around, uh, this is what was written. Let every student, okay, of this college, be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ which is eternal life, John 17, 3. And therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Okay. Anyone want to take a guess what college had the student handbook at its inception? Any guesses? Throw them out there. Oh, wow, that's quick. 
<laughs> oh, you guys are really smart. Okay. Yeah, well, I was thinking, I mean, you, you read something like that, you're thinking, okay, Wheaton, right? You're thinking, okay, that must be like Fuller Institute. Harvard? Really? Harvard? Okay, and then, and then that's how that school began. Then Yale, Princeton, and Brown, they all had the same founding purpose, that the main end of one's life and study is to know God and Jesus Christ. 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities founded in America were begun by the followers of this one man. Maybe you wouldn't be in college today if it weren't for Jesus. Maybe. Amen? <laughs> Okay, let's talk about government. There's more I could say. Uh, I'll just say one more thing, one more thing. The advancement of science actually owes a great deal to the Christian worldview, okay? Because the Christian worldview actually said that matter is good. Plato didn't say that. And there was a God who created this creation, and he is logical. He is logical and rational. And so the study of his creation actually gives him glory, it's good to study, and, and I think science is kind of built on that sort of foundation. Okay, let's go, to, let's go to government. Let's talk about government, okay? Government and helping the poor, okay? Let's talk about government and helping the poor. I'm, I'm helping you guys love God with all your minds here, okay? Stay with me. Okay, let's talk about government. Our Declaration of Independence reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Okay, what truths? That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, I want you to think about this. Is that true? Are these truths really self-evident? It's funny because the track record of human history doesn't really show this. The caste system of India does not show this. African slavery does not show this, right? Human history does not show these truths to be self-evident. But they're only self-evident in a community that has embraced the worldview that was taught by this man. I mean, this is the man who taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, where he tells a story where he makes the hero of the story someone that everyone hated, of a race that they were, you know, racist against. And so he made in this story, he made the villain, in their eyes, the good guy. And the good guys in their community, they were the bad guy. So what was he saying? He was saying that our love for our people, for people most different from us, should be the same love, equal love and respect and care that we have for ourselves and people like us. You can build on that foundation. You can build that men are all created equal on that foundation. That was the foundation that Jesus gave. All right, now let's talk about helping the poor. The Roman world was very cruel, especially to the malformed, the diseased, and the enslaved. But one man spoke these words, whatever you did for one of the least of these you did for me. Jesus said that in Matthew 25. It was the allegory of the sheep and the goats. And an idea slowly emerged that the suffering of every human being matters and that those who were able to help should do so. And so what happened as a result of that? Hospitals and relief efforts of all kinds emerged from this movement. Eye screenings in Richmond emerged from the teachings of this one man. Would we be in Richmond doing an eye screening if it were not for this man? No, of course we wouldn't. Would people in our church be taking vacation time to come in? No, I don't think we're that good by ourselves. I don't think we would. But this man, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's inspired people. It's inspired us. Okay, now, listen, I could go on and on. I can talk about love for enemies, I, I, I get, there's, there's so much more, and actually in the book they go through more. I could talk about art, 
but, but here's the thing. Um, so Jesus, not only has he changed things on a very external measure like time and place and titles, but he's gone even deeper than that and he's changed culture. He's changed, you know, um, he's changed um, uh, the, 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 cult, the values of our, of our society, you know, uh, uh, value for children. He's, he's changed um, equality for women, education, government, all these things he's changed. But, but now listen, Jesus actually went even deeper with his changes. Now what do you mean? What did Jesus do? Jesus Christ changes people. You, you can actually say that the way he's changed culture is by changing people. And not just superficial changes, but deep, radical, profound change. He transforms people. He changes the heart. Jesus actually described the change that he brings to the human heart as being so profound that he likened it to being born again. And then a mentee of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, once described it as, well, when he comes into your life, it's like you're a new creation. The whole person from the core of their being is no longer the same. And for centuries and centuries across many different cultures, Jesus has changed people in real and significant ways. People with no hope, hearing the words and the life of this man, and they're finding hope. People with no purpose, finding a mission in this man. People who feel small and rejected, finding this unconditional love in this man to the hopeless, you know, who ask, is, is this all there is to life? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And to the people with no purpose, he says, I am making all things new. Join my movement. We are going to renew the world. And for the people who feel small and, and rejected, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. William Wilberforce, profoundly influenced by the scriptures, here's a call to end slavery. He found purpose in Jesus. John Newton, okay, was a slave trader. He made money buying and selling captured human beings. He once wrote that there was no method of getting money that was more morally destructive. His life was marked by gambling, profanity, and drinking. He contemplated suicide. He was hopeless. And then he met the person in this book, Jesus, and he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus changes people. He's been changing people for centuries and centuries throughout human history, and he's changed people that we know. I've told you guys the story of my father-in-law. My father-in-law, these are not my words, these are his words. He used to spell his God, G-O-L-F. He was a man that you would think, if you met him, like, in his 20s and 30s, maybe early 40s, you would say this is probably the last man to ever become a Christian. In fact, his wife, who, who was a very devout Christian, was sharing Jesus with her sisters. And her sisters didn't want to hear it. So the sisters said to uh, her, listen, if you can convince your husband that, that to become a Christian, then we'll listen to you. 
because they were thinking in their minds, that man is so anti-God, he is the last person on the face of this planet who will ever become a Christian. And then one day, my father-in-law was delivering like a track, like one of those Christian tracks, you know, that has the four spiritual laws in it. And so as a little bit of a joke, he's like, I'm gonna read this. And he read this, he's like, this is just silly. And then there was a prayer at the end of the track, and he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pray the prayer, and then go home and tell my wife, and she's gonna get really excited, and then go, hey, yeah, it didn't work. So he prays the prayer, and then there was like this light in heaven that just got you know, flicked on. And he said, from that moment on, I can't, Jesus came into my life. And he is not the same man. He became a part-time missionary to the Lisu people of China, the mountainous people, and he taught them how to like raise goats to sustain their living. He was not the same man. Jesus changes people. But you know something? Not just people we know. He changes people here in this very room. He's changed me. And in a moment, we're going to hear the story of a man named Vincent and how this one man, Jesus Christ, has changed his life. Because he's not a man that taught and then died and that's it. But he's a man that won't go away because he's the man who's still alive today. All right, Vincent. Can we give Vincent a warm hand of, of welcome? This is what it's like to be up here. All right. Um, all right, I'll just start. This is a story about how uh, I came to know Jesus and what he means to me. Uh, perfection at all costs. This phrase would accurately describe who I was as a high school student. Grades, reputation, relationships, morality, you name it. I was always trying to be as perfect as I could be in these areas. I wasn't a Christian, neither was my family. Uh, religion and believing in God seemed more like crutches to me. And I preferred to justify my choices and beliefs using science and logic. through things I could tangibly see and reason through. Faith never crossed my mind in high school because I was doing pretty well for myself. And looking back, I was pretty satisfied with the direction I was headed, so I didn't think I needed God. And heading to college, I was just focused on getting straight A's in my classes, establishing lifelong friendships, uh, finding my dream career, and therefore succeed by all societal standards. The last thing on my mind was to check out Christianity and ask questions about God. But that's exactly what happened. Um, I always like to tell people that uh, God got my attention in college with free cream barbecue. And uh, as a freshman during Welcome Week, that's exactly what it took to bring me to a Christian Fellowship Outreach event. Uh, here the speaker went over Jesus' teachings in Luke 12. Uh, you guys may know the parable of the rich fool. And as the story goes, a rich man's land yields an abundance of crops, and he decides to build large storehouses to stockpile his grain and goods. And he tells his soul, Soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God speaks to him calling him a fool because his life will end that very night and that the wealth he stores up for himself will leave him because he is not rich towards God. And I was really unsettled by the fact that God called this rich man a fool. Uh, for one, it went against all the comfort and success-mindedness I was taught growing up. 
Jesus challenged me with the notion that a life lived this way was unfulfilling. That ultimately, as your life is demanded from you, the things you build up for yourself don't last. And the next thing I immediately thought was, well, is he telling the truth? Uh, what then is worth living for and pursuing? And I was curious, and I wanted to learn more. So over the next year, I found myself trying to answer these questions. I immersed myself in the Christian community through InterVarsity, uh, was taught from the Bible about the story of God's people, of them constantly falling away due to sin, of Jesus, the Son of God, and of his story to the cross. And Jesus kept intriguing me and challenging me with words that went against convention. Uh, he asked me, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? He said to me, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And I, I didn't understand. Uh, at the time, I didn't see how you could believe in something that you couldn't see. And eventually I realized that everyone has faith in something. Uh, in God, karma, uh, love or science or, or whatever. Um, but ultimately it's our actions that uh, reflect what we really believe in. And I was asking myself, uh, why Jesus is relevant to my life, and if I, and if I could even have faith in him. Uh, and while I was asking those questions, he broke down the way that I saw myself uh, when I saw how real sin was. Uh, and an inner varsity large group, uh, Pastor Andrew, came and shared a message about shalom. Um, for those of you that don't know what shalom means, it's the concept of godly completeness, peace, and restoration. And that God is not only bringing shalom to our broken selves, but also to our broken society and relationships. During the message, I was exposed to the depth of my sin and brokenness. Um, the truth was that I was emotionally detached from others, that as good as I thought I was, I didn't care about other people because I was so much more selfish and prideful than I wanted to believe. Uh, I remembered all the mistakes I had made, uh, all the pain I'd ever caused my friends and family, and the times that I willingly chose to benefit at another person's expense. Uh, I was far, far, far from being perfect. Um, and on the contrary, I was selfish. I was broken. Uh, the weight of my sin was so heavy at this point that my heart uh, just started pounding and I couldn't focus on the rest of the sermon. <laughs> uh, and at this point, I knew that my sin was real and that it would lead to physical and spiritual death. Uh, at that point, I knew that I needed a Savior uh, because I couldn't overcome sin myself. Uh, but Jesus. But Jesus, he provided an invitation that by the love of God, he willingly took my place and suffered the very same death on the cross that I deserved. And through his resurrection, he overcame sin, giving me a chance to be in relationship with him and live a life worth living. Uh, and over two and a half years ago on that very night, I responded to the invitation and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember one of my friends uh, came up to me that night and asked me if I felt any different after accepting Christ. And honestly, I said no. Um, because I felt that God was transforming me while I was seeking after him. And the same holds true now. Um, even as a Christian now, nothing's completely figured out. Uh, but God is still teaching, growing, and molding me as I try to understand and seek his calling on my life. Uh, I've seen how faith in God hasn't come from my own strength, uh, but my faith has been grown by him because of his faithfulness to me. Uh, because of Jesus, my life is no longer about living to pursue perfection, uh, but it's living knowing that perfection himself is pursuing me. Uh, and perfecting his love in me. Uh, to me, Christianity has been about new life being found in relationship with the living and breathing God, uh, about living out the good news that he provides to me every day. Uh, because of Jesus, I'm challenged to love people even when it's hard. Um, I'm learning as a son uh, how to really honor my parents and love my family. Uh, and it's the best kind of life because of who I'm living for. 
uh, not for myself, but for a perfect, good, and holy God um, who is making everything new. And it blows my mind that uh, I got the opportunity to partner with him as he is bringing this restoration to me, through me, and around me. Um, this is a life worth living because the treasures that come with pursuing the kingdom will last for all eternity. And so today, as I uh, make a public declaration of faith through my baptism, I stand firm, testifying to Jesus' faithfulness in my life, and truly that he is a king who is, has been, and will always be worth following. Thanks. I love my job. I love Vincent's testimony. It's very articulate. And it's really about one man's story and how that has changed all these other stories, including this young man's life 2,000 years later. But the, the, the components to this one life, it's not narrow. There's so many parts to it. And I thought Vincent articulated beautifully where it's like he, he gave Vincent clarity, right? Okay, my life is going this way, my life is all about me, but then all of a sudden it's like, you fool, you know, <laughs> in a very loving way. You're not, you, you fool, what is really worth pursuing in life? And then it's, it's, it's feeling like, okay, I, I believe in these things, but I have to believe in this invisible God, that's hard, but there's this clarity that this man brings that, you know, everyone believes in something. You put your faith in me. And then it's not just that, but it's also what do I do with my own sense of guilt and shame for all the things that I do and all the things that I am when I'm honest with myself. And then Jesus on the cross gives us a solution. In my cross, I have paid for the penalty of your sins. My cross has allowed God to say, you are forgiven completely. But then it's not just that, there's more. Now you are on this mission of restoring the world. You are joining the, with the one who said, I am making all things new, and I'm going to come back and, and make it all good, and you're part of my army. And there's so much in that testimony. There's so much in that one story that brings so much richness and fullness to our own stories. And I'm hoping you see that. So this is, again, this is the intro to this series. And here's, here's what I want you to come away with. Maybe you're a believer And I hope you're feeling from this message about Jesus a sense of wow, like this God man that I worship and follow is really all that. And the word is yes, he is really all that. He is the one who has revolutionized the planet. He has changed culture. Do you understand how big his movement is? And sometimes, you know, we get caught up in the local church. We're a small church. It's about us. And especially in the Bay Area, Christians are clearly the minority. So it's easy to feel like we're overwhelmed and alone. But do you understand how big this kingdom is? And not only that, do you understand how big this God-man is that you follow? Like when you sing songs to him, there's a whole new set of reasons to worship him. Like practically, all the difference he's made and how he's changed not just culture, but he's changed the human heart and so many people across culture and time and space. Maybe you're not a believer and I just want you to consider that this one man who has done so much good, who has brought so much beauty and positive value to our culture, this one man who has changed countless lives for centuries and centuries in every different culture, can you imagine yourself starting a relationship with him yourself? 
Because historically this man did die, but then he rose from the dead, and he's reigning now in heaven, which means he's alive. And so he's still changing people because he's alive. Can you imagine yourself having a relationship with this God-man? Because he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to change your life from the inside out, just like Vincent. Can you imagine yourself finding him and realizing that actually he is the one who has found you. Just think about that. I'd like you all to just stand up and we're gonna close at least the message time in prayer. Would you please pray with me? God, I give you glory. Uh, You're awesome. So many times we think of you as a little small God in our world that we believe in. Oh my gosh. This is the God who's on the move, who's, who's... who's changing the planet, really. And he's changed culture and so many lives. And I I pray for the people who don't know Jesus and maybe all this stuff is new to them. I pray, Lord, that you will begin something today. You would make them curious to learn more. You would make them hungry with a spiritual hunger that will not otherwise be satisfied unless it finds its satisfaction in you. Oh, Jesus, we we do pray to you. Not only are you a historical man, but you're the God-man who reigns in heaven now. I pray for your great mercy. I imagine there's people in this room who are saying, I don't need religion, that's just a crutch. But I pray that you would give them the same clarity that you gave Vincent. The Holy Spirit allowed them to see his sin and with humility to say, I have these things that I've done, these thoughts that I think, and I'm not proud of them. I need a savior. Would you bring the people in this room who don't have much use for religion into a living relationship with the holy God to just, as Vincent said, to have holy perfection himself pursue us and to never let go. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being all that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.